Thank you for joining us on the Underdog Podcast, the place where we believe at one point in your life, you were an underdog and overcame adversity. And for that reason, we want to hear your story. I am your boy, Calvin Blackman. And I am Kyle Decker. This episode is powered by BetterHelp. Here at the Underdog, we know life can be difficult, and sometimes you need to talk to someone. That's why we have partnered with BetterHelp, the leader in online therapy. Underdog listeners can save 10% on their first month. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash underdog. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com forward slash underdog to get your discount uh, today. And what? Should I, should I save that? Yeah, save it. All right, I'll save that. I'll yeah. save that. I'll save that. Okay. 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 Yeah. Got Good. it. Hey, you got hey Gary. You got Calvin all nervous. He's he's uh he he, he was nervous for Josh Snead. Now he's he's Bro, shaking been, his boots. I've been follow, I've been watching this dude since '97. So like <laughs> so now it's, it's it is an wow. honor, man. That's a long time. Yeah, yeah. I used to sneak. I mean, you didn't really have to sneak to watch Comic View because it wasn't too. But you know, I thought you were gonna tell him about Brick Street, not the UC story. You can't get that away. Uh, Oxford. Oh Brick yeah, Street. yeah. Let's talk about that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oxford. Yeah. Nobody right. knows about Oxford. No, right. Yeah. So uh, it, it was my freshman year. Me and my roommate, we were uptown um, and we were at the bar. And we're standing, I think, I don't know if we just ordered a drink or maybe you did, but my roommate goes, Hey, that's the white dude from Comic View. And I was like, It is. So we went over and, and said, What's up? And we, so if you remember, I don't know the last time you were in there was, but um, there's the little steps that lead down to the dance floor. And we stood at the stop, top of the steps for like 10 minutes. And I think you probably roasted like three or four girls that just walked by. And like, it was, it was hilarious. And I was like, okay, like this dude is legit pretty funny. Like, <laughs> <laughs> What year was that? This was 2000. This had to be either fall of 2000 or spring of 2001. So it was my freshman year in Miami. Wow. <laughs> wow yeah because i ain't been in brick street in probably 10 years i bet yeah so this was a solid 20 years ago when it was still first run was will wiseman still running it then? yes yes okay. will was still yeah. running. <laughs> first run which is now brick street in oxford ohio um that was my first uh paying um road gig really? in my stand-up life well this guy had a run it was um we were in Lexington on Friday or Saturday, and then first run was the next night. It was a little Midwest Midwest run um, for comics that are doing one-nighters. And you, you're not making any money. You're getting like $200 a night, something like that, and they give you uh, a, a hotel room. Uh, but it's on you to get there and everything. And I was just home for a couple weeks. I was still in the Navy, but I, I was starting to do stand-up and I got a hold of this guy and he goes, yeah, you can do Lexington on Friday. And then, you know, first run on Saturday or maybe it was a Sunday night was comedy night back then. This was like 98, 97. Yep. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you, I that, thought I was balling. I was like, dang. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Hey, uh, any questions for us? We actually haven't started recording. We hit the record button. Uh, we just want to make sure you were good to go. Had any questions or concerns or anything to avoid? Is there anything you want from us before? None of that shit is on the podcast. Uh, no, we have not hit record, so we we're ready to go oh, now. Damn, right there. <laughs> <laughs> Are we good now, Patrick? 
Okay, we're good then. Okay, okay. never mind. Guess we're rolling. God, we're a bunch of rookies. We're shitting our pants over here. So, but anyway, any any questions, Gary, before we get rolling? Or the third You've time. You've asked that three times. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's fucking go. Uh, so I got a little intro that I that I'll read off, and then we'll we'll, we'll jump right in. Um, our guest today went from growing up in a trailer park to being one of the most renowned comedians and actors on the planet. Welcome to the UDP, Gary. Thank you. Appreciate you. Appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. Obviously, not a lot going on with really anyone with with the uh, with the conditions with COVID nineteen. But uh, you know, taking time away from your family to to join us on the on the underdog, man. So. Uh, as I was going to say, uh, before we started recording, I do have a bone to pick with you. Um, about six years ago, uh, a friend of mine who's now a pretty, uh, famous DJ, DJ clockwork, shout out to clockwork. He's out there in LA now. Um, he lived below me here in Cincinnati when, uh, I was living down in Clifton and he said, Hey, Gary Owen's going to be, uh, at UC. Let's go. And I was like, what time? And he's like six o'clock. It's like five forty, And I'm like, all right, let's make it happen. UC's right up the street, University of Cincinnati, for those listening. So I'm like, we get there, and I'm like, we can't walk in late. <laughs> and I was like, he's going to let us have it. And sure enough, we sneak in the back. And there's only, and you may, I don't know if you remember this, how well you remember all your shows or whatnot, but it, it was like a, it was like a small, it was a room, probably 80 people, um, just a bunch of chairs. And so we walk in and like, we kind of let, try to let the door close kind of silently and it bang. And all of a sudden you look up and you're like, these two. And I was like, oh my God, here we go. So for, it felt like three minutes, like you just let us have it. And it might've only been 30 seconds, but we slid into the back row and just sat down. I was like, and everybody was staring at us. I was like, that's why we shouldn't have came. <laughs> was that, okay. I've done like three, four shows that you see in my life. Was that the one it was, it was like in a bar restaurant type deal. No, this was actually on campus, but it was like in like almost like a like a hall. Um, everything was like it was just chairs set up like they set up a bunch of chairs. and okay. There was an aisle right down the middle and you were letting all the kids have it from Taft, depending on where they went to school. And and, oh, okay. yeah. and you, you were the two old guys. I one time, yeah. One time I had a show at UC and I'll never forget it. So I I get done with my show. And then they asked me to do some announcements afterwards. And this, this had to be over well over 10 years ago, probably 11, 12 years ago. And so literally, I'd say, I'm done. And then I said, yeah, I'll do the announcements or whatever. I, and they didn't tell me that the announcement was Kevin Hart was coming um, for whatever spring bling or some shit, some big shit they had coming up. And so literally the winner had to give the best Kevin Hart impersonation and tell the best Kevin Hart joke. And I'm sitting there going, why am I doing this? I'm sitting there asking people to tell me Kevin Hart jokes. <laughs> I just got done. It's literally, it's literally like somebody going to LeBron going, hey, you see Kobe last night? Man, that dude was baller. Pretty good too, LeBron. Kobe? Yeah, that definitely was, I definitely was not there for that one. Uh, but no, it was, it was definitely memorable to, to you know, to get so what, did he what did he tell you? What, what, what oh, we say? were, all I remember is he just said, y'all go to school here. And we said, no. And basically called us the old guys. Did, did you not graduate? Like, and just kind of went on a rant about us for, I, like I said, felt like two minutes and I was like, let's just sit down. That's what you get for running late. Right. No you doubt. still run late to, at work here. So man, see, here we go. Here we go. 
Um, but no, so I know we wanted to, uh, so this is the underdog, man, and we we like to really talk about your journey, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, were you born in Cincinnati or were you born in Oxford? Yeah, Christ Hospital. Okay, born in Christ Hospital. I was trying to figure out if you were born in McCullough Hyde or Killen and Hydem or uh, in Oxford wow. or down here in Cincinnati. I didn't, I didn't move to Oxford till I was 10. I moved there in fifth grade. Okay. And then um, actually what I've heard is, McCullough Hyde is actually one of the safer hospitals uh, during this pandemic because it hasn't really hit Oxford that hard, the coronavirus. Makes sense. Now all the college kids left. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so just going back a little bit on your journey here, um, I, I was listening to one of your pieces, and you're a homecoming baby, is that right? As you're growing up, you found yeah, out, you mom, figured that out? Well, my mom had me in high school, so... I did the math. I was born in July. I was like August, September, October. That was so I was Coleraine High School homecoming baby. <laughs> I was trying to figure out when you said that when I was listening to one of your pieces, I started thinking about shit, when, when was I was I homecoming baby? Or what, oh, what I, you started putting it all together, like do the math. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I just it's so funny you say that. I like probably a couple weeks ago, uh, I just realized that I was a Valentine's baby because I'm in November. It's like, damn it. Just horrible to think about. You're putting that visual in your mind. It's awful. <laughs> well, my dad confirmed it. So I just <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna ask you my mom. So that that um Coleraine High School, it's still the same high school as it was back in the 70s. And I always wonder why I always I'd always do a double take at the parking lot behind the football stadium. <laughs> I know that's where I was conceived. Oh shoot. Um now, then you, when you moved to Oxford when you were 10, then that's when you moved into the trailer park? Yeah. Yeah. We, but before that, um, we lived, uh, God, we was all over Cincinnati, depending on who my mom was dating. We was all over that joint. You know, <laughs> where the new boyfriend was living. Cause I went, I was on West Kemper Road, which would have been yeah. Northwest High School. And then we lived in Folkestone Drive for a little bit, which was Forest Park, which is now Winton Woods High School, uh, Heritage Hill Elementary, which is Princeton, um, went to Pleasant Ridge Elementary, which is Woodward. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, I'm missing one, but it'll come to me a little bit. You pretty much hit them all right there on the west side, especially. Wow. Then so you went from well, all the. Well, it's funny because when I when I got to high school at Talawanda, every time we'd play a team in in sports, like. At some point, I know somebody on the other team. <laughs> we, we moved around so much. I knew everybody on every team. <laughs> they were like, hey, Gary, because you were a tight end, right, at Talawanda? Is that right? No, no, I was a center. I moved all – every year I played a different position. They just – whoever – I was I was the ultimate backup. So if somebody got hurt, they would just move me over and be like, Gary, you just back him up. I go, all right. So I played a little bit, but I was always running in and off the field. Now, now I will tell you this. Another little com uncommonality um, is I coached at Talawanda my last year at Miami. So, Oh, for real? Yeah. What year was that? 2000. So I graduated in 04. So, uh, yeah, so the 2004, three or four season. Yep. Who was the head coach at Talawanda then? Vanatsky. Uh, Vanatsky. Oh, that's who that is. We weren't very. We, we, weren't, very, we weren't very good. Uh, <laughs> the the Talwanda Braves. We were like a one. Good. We were like a one and done staff. No, we were four and six, three and oh. seven. Okay, two and. I'll eight. tell you an interesting fact about Talwanda. Um, they've in the last twenty years they've had two football players play D one football. 
two in 20 years. Yeah, and we know one of them, Maurice Thomas, um, Mo, who yep. owns one of the bars. Can you um, remember the other one? Uh, oh, Jake Richardson. I played with him. Yep, punter. punter. Yep. Yeah, Jake was. So Those I was the only two. I played with Both Jake for. Miami. Yeah, I played with Jake for five years. Well, look at that. Look, at, it's like the first trivia I've ever got. All right. Um, yeah, both guys I know. But that's uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Check, please. Check, please. Yeah. Right to Miami. But uh, Jake was a hell of a punter. The biggest calves. I know this is kind of weird. I'm saying that, but the biggest calves I've ever seen in my life. Jake Richardson. I don't know if you ever saw his calves, but it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. I don't know if it's a punter thing or not. I've actually started to look, this, this sounds so weird. I start look at punters calves and I'm like, are they really all that? I mean, look at them, check it out. It's wild. I'll Google it. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, he, he got invited to a couple NFL camps, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He, um, he bounced around in some camps. Um, he'd kind of go in and, I know he uh, was with the Bengals, but obviously they had Huber, but they brought him in to compete. And then he got on one other, maybe it was the Falcons. Um, and then he didn't make it. That's cool. Now I know you. Uh, <clears throat> we talked a little bit of kind of about the trailer park, and we're gonna obviously move on through through your career, uh, moving to the military. Uh, but you know, for growing up in a trailer park with you know, I think six you know other brothers and sisters or whatnot, and you being a, being a comedian, able to make light you know, make that situation, you know, a very lighthearted situation. Um, you know, what was kind of that like? Cause I, there's the one story again that you talk about, um, the nailer, the neighbor in your trailer park who got caught sleeping with another dude and, and just kind of, <laughs> what was kind of your life, your day to your day to day life, you know, as a youngster growing up in the trailer park. But that, I mean, that's all, you know, uh, so you don't realize it's every stereotype that you think about in a trailer park. And the crazy part about Island Lake Mobile Community is what it's called, is when you you pull down this driveway to go into the trailer park, and if you make a right, it's the family section. So those are all people with kids. If you make a left, it's no kids. It's all adults. So if you make a left, it was actually kind of nice, the trailers, because they, they, were, they were all like seniors, basically, like 55 and over. And they took great care of their trailers and their yards and everything else. Now, if you made a right, then you're looking at on blocks, broken down cars in the driveway, you know, uh, might be a couch on the front porch. Uh, it was every stereotype that you could think of, of the trailer park, just neighbors sleeping with neighbors and I don't know, a lot of drugs and just weird stuff going on that I didn't really participate in. What part of Oxford? What street? Where is that? Because I'm trying to think where where it's was that? It's 27. I don't know if you're going to Oxford. It's right right behind Jamie's Market. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. I know you're right. Gotcha. Yeah. Island Lake. So it's a little town called McGonagall. Okay. Yeah. I know. I know exactly where you're. Okay. Now it makes sense. And then when you were like with all those siblings in a like, how did the whole sleeping situation like? How did how did you guys all fit into a trailer? Well, it wasn't. It it, it was. I had a bunch of. I had brothers and sisters, but three of them didn't live there. Um, because my mom and dad only had me. So every, all my other brothers and sisters were half. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the ones in the actual trailer, we had Dallas, Kyle, me. We had four kids in the trailer. And then my sister, Michelle, would come. And she'd be back and forth. She graduated from Middletown High School. So she'd be back and forth. So there was basically four kids and then my mom and stepdad in the trailer. So there were six of us living there full time. I'm going to be seven, 
But like I said, that's all you know. So I have my own room in the front, and then my um my brother Dallas and sister Ashley, they had bunk beds. So they had their own, they, and they were only 18 months apart, so they were close in age. And then my youngest brother, he just kind of slept wherever. <laughs> <laughs> just made it happen. That couch on the front. <laughs> um, wherever he crashed. So, <clears throat> so then 1991, you graduate from, from Talawanda, I believe, and you were, as we found out, the class clown uh, to an extent. But then... Um, you decided to to join the Navy, so I'm assuming a Navy recruiter came to Oxford, and uh, that piqued your interest. Or how did you transition to the Navy, no. because, or how how did that work That's out? That's not how it went. <laughs> it was it, it was December of my senior year, and I had a buddy. His name was well, he's still my friend, Mike Heineman. But him and his dad, Mike had already joined the Navy, so him and his dad woke me up one morning, Saturday morning. And Mike just woke me up. His dad was in the car. So I guess Mike knocked on the door and my mom must have let him in. And he goes, he goes, Gary, wake up. And I was like, huh? He goes, wake up. I was like, what are you doing? He goes, come on, man. Come with me. I said, where are you, where are you going? He goes, he just said, man, you got to get out of here. Come on. Come with me. So I didn't really know where we was going. And then I wake up, put my clothes on. I go with him and his dad, and we go down to the recruiting station. And like I said, Mike already joined. So once you join, they got, I think it's called MEPS um, meeting. I don't know what the MEPS stands for, but it's all the people that are getting ready to go in the Navy. And they have these once a month meetings um, just to see how everybody's doing. They like have pizza and stuff. So I went to the MEPS meeting, and uh, that's when the recruiters start talking to me about joining. And I said, all right. And I just kind of joined right there. I was like, all right, I ain't doing nothing else. Wow. And, and where did that take you then? Where did you go in the Navy? Then you went to what, San Diego? Or where did you go? No, I went or I went to boot camp in Orlando. Um, and then I got put in the presidential honor guard for two years at the White House in the, the Washington Navy Yard. Well, what happened was when I was in boot camp, they said everybody with a over six feet tall with a 34 inch waist or under uh, come down to the field house. So I went down to the field house and there was probably about there was probably about 100 of us at least. And they gave us this big presentation and they said, anybody interested, um, sign up. And I think everybody signed up because the presentation, it looked like he was a rock star, like. You know, you're at the White House lawn and you're meeting all these politicians and, it, you know, the, the uniforms look amazing in the honor guard and they show guys spinning the rifles and all this other stuff and marching in parades. And, you know, so everybody signed up. So out of the hundred that signed up, four of us got accepted. And I was one of the four. And the reason is what we didn't know is, you know, you're you're going to be on the White House lawn and you cannot have a police record of any kind. And. I was 17 years old. I didn't even have a driver's license. So I had absolutely no police record. Uh, and then um, I came to find out they had gone back and talked to like my high school. They pulled all my records. Um, uh, went, went to the police station, just did this whole huge background check on me. And I came up clean and so did the three other guys. So out of the 104 of us made it now to D.C. 
Now, did you, uh, now this is all my research, so keep correcting me if I'm wrong, because one of the next things that I saw was that uh, basically you were uh, military police, but you only made three arrests in three years. Is that correct? Some like, that. well, <laughs> see what happens is if you make it, so you go through boot camp in the Navy, which is, which is kind of hard. Boot camp is kind of hard, I guess, for a, for a teenager. And then after boot camp, I went into the honor guard. Now, the honor guard, the first couple months, you spend in this thing called train a platoon, which I think there was probably 40 of us in my train a platoon. Out of the 40, I really think less than 10 made it the full two, year, two years in the honor guard. Because just like when you do the background check to get in the honor guard, once you're in the honor guard, you still can't fuck up. So guys will get in a bar fight. They're gone. The guys will get um, drunk and disorderly. You're gone. Any little thing, you're gone. And, you know, I just never got in trouble. So I made it to two years. So after the two years, you either get to pick what job you want that you qualify for, or you can pick a duty station. So I was like, who, what, what um, rate is open to, cause I was always, always about making money. They go master at arms, which is a cop. So I said, okay, I'll just, I'll just do that. I can make rate real quick and make more money. And so I went to the police academy in San Antonio and then I went to Anniston, Alabama, which is a brig school, which is like to be a prison guard. It's from my mom. Um, and so I get stationed out in San Diego after I get out of police academy. And I knew, I knew right off the bat this was not going to be the career for me. I was just like, all right, I'm just going to get through my next three years and then I'm going to get out and be a comedian. So my first week. Then I got stationed in San Diego. I was already in the phone book looking up comedy clubs, trying to be a comedian. And I was <clears> but I, didn't, I let everybody go. I pulled you over, man. <laughs> unless there was witnesses outside of a murder. I was like, you're good. Because <laughs> didn't you one time pull someone over at like 6 a.m. and it took you to like 9 a.m. to process? And you're like, I'm never doing that again. Well, that was my joke. But um, really, I what happened was the real story behind that DUI I gave was we had a nightclub on the base. I was stationed at NAB Coronado, and there was a nightclub on the base called Gator Gardens. And Gator Gardens get a little wild because when ships pull in and, and it's a weekend and you're under 21, only place you can go is Tijuana or the base nightclubs. So a lot of guys would go to the base nightclubs. And there'd be we there's quite a few bar fights and scuffles, not huge throwdowns, but a couple guys scuffling. Well, you know, we'd always have cars on patrol around 2 a.m. when the club was letting out. Well, this one car pulled up on the sidewalk and then came back down. And so I woo, put on my lights and I was, listen, I was still going to let him go. I was <laughs> like, dude, be cool. I was going to have him park his car. What I used to do with people is have them park their cars. I'd take the car keys and say, look, I get off at 6 a.m. Make sure you're at the police station at 6. And nobody ever missed being there at six o'clock and so i was gonna let this guy go well since i pull him over as soon as i you know i tell him to roll down his window he just starts yelling i'm a black man without a record i'm a black man without a record and i'm going i want you to keep that title (laughs) (laughs) and he kept making such a scene i had finally i pulled him out of the car not physically pulled him i said can you step out of the car he stepped out of the car i took him around to the back to the trunk and I'm sitting there really trying to talk to him, like, dude, if you just chill, I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna write you up or give you a DUI. And he just kept yelling and getting louder. 
And finally, I had to put him in handcuffs and arrest him and gave him a DUI. And that's when I had to do all this goddamn paperwork because <laughs> he wouldn't shut up. And he kept trying to say I pulled him over because he, he was black. And I go, dude, your windows were tinted. <laughs> I didn't know what color you were. Now, it was a Cadillac, white walls with tinted windows. I had an idea, <laughs> but I didn't know. <laughs> Man, that is great. That is great. And <laughs> so uh, you you do your time in the military um, and you just kind of hinted at it. You know, you were starting to look at, um, you know, wanting to do stand up. Uh, can you and I know you've told this story probably many, many times, but, you know, I told Kyle, I'm, I'm proud to call you, um, you know, my favorite white comedian. And so how did that transition from leaving the Navy to really pursuing stand-up and ultimately becoming America's favorite, you know, black America's favorite white comedian? Well, a lot of people know this. I had, I was on Comic View. I was active duty military. I was still in the Navy when I first got on BET. Okay. I would just, I, um, I won the contest. I won a couple contests. One, I won Funniest Servicemen in America, which... It wasn't really a nationwide search. It was just they. It was just a title they gave, and I think it was like people around the California area, all the bases. They had a Marine, a Navy guy, a Coast Guard guy, um, Army, and an Air Force. Um, but I won that contest, and then I also won a contest. It was the funniest black comedian in San Diego contest, and again, that was a radio call, and it was a radio station called Z ninety. It was a hip hop station in San Diego, and I'm driving. And I hear, we're looking for the funniest black comedian in San Diego. So I called in and I didn't say I was or wasn't black. I just said, hey, I want to enter. So I got in and ended up winning the contest. And first prize was you were going to get to go to L.A. and get up at the comedy store on Tuesday night, which was the Urban Night. It was called Fat Tuesdays. And back then, that's when the who's who was in the audience. There'd be Shaq or Kobe or... Denzel, or that's where Tupac used to hang out, and Suge. Now you never know who was in the audience on Fat Tuesday. That was the spot. Tyson, everybody was in there, and um, so I got to go up for five minutes, and you know, so and then that when I that five minutes up in L.A. got me an audition for Comic View, and um, I got on Comic View, and I'm still active duty. I'm still going to work every morning on the base, and. So I just took a week's leave and went up to, went up to L.A., filmed Comic View, came back down, and I'm just back, you know, doing local jokes and blah, blah, blah. And then I get a call from BET and said they, they wanted to make me the host of Comic View. So I had to go back to my base and ask if I could get out early because I got a TV show. And they was like, we've heard of some lies. <laughs> this one is one of them. So... BT had to fax over paperwork and everything saying, yeah, we did offer him a job and I had to, you know, show BT I'm still active duty and we worked it out. I was able to get out a little early so I could pursue my, my stand-up career. So I literally was on TV on BET and still in the Navy. Now, and that's similar, that's similar to Sneed. We just interviewed Sneed, as you know. Um, and he said that he was working at Kroger and taking the weekends or PTO to drive out to, I think like North Dakota to do stand up or, you know, it was just a side hustle. That's what a lot of people don't realize. They just see you guys. Well, we found out whether it's athletes or comedians or any profession that has, you know, some public notoriety, this thing, it just happens. And you know, guys like yourself, like you said, you're hustling, 
you're you're in the military and then you're doing this on the side and just make it happen. So that's that's awesome, man. Yeah, I remember my first comedy club, like real comedy club. Like I, you know, I did the first run gig, and then you know, you you always do one nighters for fifty bucks here, a hundred bucks here. But my first comedy club was, I think it was called the Comedy Stop or something. It was in El Paso, Texas, and I my my boss thank god my bosses was cool in the navy most of them that uh they knew i was trying to do this stand-up thing so they'd always look out for me my boss left me off let me off work on thursday early i drove to el paso from san diego which i think it's like 12 hours maybe it's probably about 12 hour drive pretty sure um and i did thursday friday saturday sunday in el paso for 500 bucks and I was like, oh my God. And keep in mind, I gotta drive out there and they put you in this shitty condo and you're you're sleeping with the other two comics, a three-bedroom condo, it's a shithole. And you don't know any better. You know, I'm like 21, 22. I'm thinking, this is the life. <laughs> and I remember all I remember was I thought I made so much money because all I did money, all I did was spend money on gas and Arby's. I just ate Arby's all week. Beef and cheddars. <laughs> Beef and cheddar for, for like a dollar, two dollars. And I was like, all right, well, that's four dollars a day. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm good. Wow. Now, I do have a question, man, because as you're talking about kind of the grind and, you know, what, what goes into it before you people actually see you uh, hit the limelight. Uh, with Again, I, I think you're extremely funny, but talk about the process of, you know, what goes into, you know, when you're writing your jokes and really the kind of behind the scenes, like what, what goes into that when you're, you know, you're sitting around or when you need to say, I have a show coming up and I've got to put some things, some new material together. What is your, what is kind of your process uh, when that happens? Uh, I don't, I've never written a joke down in my life, like on a piece of paper. Uh, it's just on my head, you know, but I, I don't want people to think I'm freestyling every show. Like, I'm on stage so much that, you know, I'm, I'm doing, God, I'm probably doing over probably close to a thousand shows a year, I bet. So I'm on stage a lot. Right. Um, so you so, just, that's incredible. So you just have that vision similar to like, I played with Miami with Sean McVay for five years. <clears throat> he had like the same gift. His recall is incredible. Like he's visualized. So you, I, it sounds like you're similar where you can just really kind of visualize what you want to talk about or plan in your head and then just execute. Yeah, that's what it is. And you have, honestly, you have your home run jokes that are in your brain. So, you know, you can get out of any situation. Like if I'm at a comedy club and I'm working on some new shit and you know, you can kind of tell right off halfway through a joke, if it's going where you want, like if the crowd's with you and but you all you got the home run jokes like in the back of your brain, like, okay, I can I can get out of this and just go to this joke next and they'll forget all about this terrible joke I was about to tell. <laughs> Such an art. It is, man. That's what I think is it's just an art. And to see again, I've seen you doing so much stand up and you know, I've even seen where you've been like, you know, you've even admitted like that joke used to be funny or that joke's not as funny as I want it to be, but able to, like you said, then back out of it and and bring us full circle and and get a laugh out of us. It's just like wow, like to know that just to kind of understand your, your, you visualize all of those types of things and have perfected the art. Yeah. And now most of the jokes work. Yeah. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
So now you live out on the West Coast, right outside of uh, Sacramento. Is that correct? Well, we're kind of in the middle of, of Oakland and Sacramento. We're, we're closer to Oakland, but um, yeah, but we still got a place in Cincinnati. We still we're kind of back and forth. Obviously, not during this time, but we still got a place back there. Awesome. Yes, I didn't know how because <clears throat> I know obviously you love here in Cincinnati, but between traveling with all your your you know your shows and all the different things, like I said, I'm following. Like I'm looking at all these, you know, the breakfast club, you know, you're up at six in the morning doing shows at times on the road and whether it's New York or Chicago, how do you balance? Um, I was very curious. That's something I wanted to ask you. How do you balance like work life? I know you got three kids. I know they're getting a little bit older, but with your wife, everything, how, how do you balance your schedule? I mean, that's all we know. You know, my kids, when they were, well, I mean, they're both teenagers now, but you know, when they, um, I got one that's already out of the house. He's a grown man, but I got two that are still here. And uh, when they were babies, they thought I was a pilot because they'd always see me at the airport leaving. And they'd always like <laughs> look at a plane like, that's what my dad does. <laughs> <laughs> they thought I was a damn airline pilot. And then, uh, but that, that's all we know, you know, and it works for us. I don't think, um, I, I'm, I have such a strong personality and my wife has a, such a strong personality. It works. And we both are so such independent people. It works to have the time away and then come back together and have our time together. It actually works. Honestly, I think a lot of marriages would work if they did it that way. Probably. <laughs> I think the divorce rate would go down. Right, right. You just <clears throat> ebb and flow, right? You're all in when you're there. And then when you're out, you're working. That's actually versus like just the, the, the daily casual. Well, this is the longest. I, I, and we honestly thought about it. I've been I've been home for 22 straight days today. This is the longest we've ever been together. Like every day it's going well 22 straight yeah yeah oh yeah yeah we've had i said we've had two pandemic arguments they're both minor <laughs> i love the facial hair and even our first like Ooh, did we just have our first pandemic argument <laughs> <laughs> i can let you go quick you know i just be like all right let it go right <clears throat> now uh, now to go off of kind of going back we want to ask you i know there's being the underdog and obviously we talked about the trailer park and some of, you know, moving around as a, as a youngster and then getting to the Navy and on into your career, but to kind of go back. We've had some other moments, um, with, with some family, you know, with your brother passing away and you're really passionate about overcoming drug addiction and different things, which I think is fantastic. Watch a lot of those things and the different stuff you're doing in Cincinnati and a lot of different communities. So just want to touch upon, you know, some of that adversity you faced within your family and maybe some recommendations to anyone that's listening that's going through someone that's in alcohol, drug, whatever it may be, um, some things that maybe you've went through and, and how you got through that. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't want to bring the podcast completely down, but like growing up, you know, you're, my mom married this just monster of a human being who she's still married to. Um, so I never, I haven't talked to my mother in over four years or anybody on that side of the family, my mom and stepdad side, because when um, my my brother passed away of a heroin overdose, May 20th, 2015, my other brother got locked up about a year and a half later for dealing and using. And what really was frustrating to me was my brother was, we all knew he was a heroin addict. And I really fought to keep him alive. Like he, he called me, um, one time he was getting ready to shoot up and uh, I took, I ended up 
taking him to rehab and, and, and pay him for it. But me and my mom took him down to Bowling Green, Kentucky at a place called the Quest House. Got him in there for four or five weeks. And in those four or five weeks that he was in rehab, I started to really research um, uh, heroin addiction and how to, and then the success rate is, is so low, but there are success stories. So I'm sitting to research and everything he has to do when he gets out. We have to, in my mind, I go, we have to set him up for success. And every time I bring something to my mom, I'd get a, I'd get some pushback and I, I didn't push like I should have pushed looking back on it. And what I knew was you, you got to change people, places, and things. That's the, that's the number one rule when God gets out of rehab, they can't go back to the same place. Cause they're going to start hanging out with the same people and they're going to start doing the same things. And so I was trying to tell my mom, he can't come back to Oxford and Hamilton. He knows that area. He's going to fall back. And so I had, made some calls to um, places in Phoenix, comedy clubs and stuff. Like, can you, can you get my brother on as like a cook or a door guy or anything? And I was very honest with the comedy clubs and, you know, they were like, yeah, yeah, you know, for you, Gary, we'll, we'll do that. I was like, great. So I'm trying to tell my mom, yo, when Dallas gets out, I got a, I got a place for him in Phoenix and uh, you know, get a job and I can go out there for a little bit, get him set up and everything. And then she goes, no, no, he can't, he can't be away from his daughter. He can't be 2000 miles away. And I was trying to, it was just, it was very frustrating to me, but I didn't put my foot down and it ended up, he got out of rehab, got back to Oxford, overdosed like three more times before eventually he shot up and he, it was fentanyl that actually killed him. He thought he was shooting up heroin, but there was fentanyl on the heroin and he died almost instantly so at least he didn't feel any pain he's kind of shut up and he was kind of gone and then my other brother got locked up a year and a half later for using heroin they found heroin on him and they but he was dealing fentanyl and it was very frustrating to me because i was like you know you're you're selling the same stuff that you know killed our other brother so in essence you're just basically giving a death sentence to other people and i got I got ostracized from the family because I went after custody of my brother's uh, daughter and I wanted me and my wife to take her in cause we could, it was, it was more a stable, it was uh, a stable home life for her. And the, the hate I got through text messages and phone calls from, from my, uh, that side of the family, they were trying to say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to take her away and, turn the family against each other. And I was like, this isn't about anybody else than my niece. And I just had to finally back off because I was like the, I was going to have to deal with that. And I can't mess up my own family, which kind of sucks because now the, his niece is now living with the baby mama's aunt. She just, she's kind of getting just passed around. Right. And it sucks, but I have to stay away because if I was going to fight to get her, then I'd probably have to have a relationship with that side of the family. And that would be, that wouldn't be conducive to my family. So I had to look out for them. So yeah, it's not a good, um, it's not the the happiest home life, so to speak I, I at think, all. Was that confusing? No, 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 that made sense. Yeah, that, to be honest with you, I was watching uh, your podcast and my wife was like, why? Are, I mean, I was like crying, like when you were on your podcast and then I watched, um, you know, some of the other things that you did at Talwanda high school that I saw here, while back I saw it, but then in this kind of preparation, I'm like, dude, I was, 
I was like, dude, you usually bring me to tears with with uh, your jokes, but man, your 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 genuine just uh, give back is was just tremendous. I mean, I was just bawling my eyes. I'm like, it's like, what's the matter? Like, what what happened? I thought something bad happened. I'm like, no, I'm just Gary Owen, man. This has got me. He's like, was he making jokes? No, is he? You know, he just paid for some some girl or some guy that you know needed some help that grew up in the same trailer park and. You know, your stuff with your oh, brother, the, yeah. the letter, Bailey. Yeah, Bailey. And then your brother's, you know, the letter he wrote you um, was just from rehab. from rehab. Yeah, that was that was just yeah. really touching stuff. I'm, I'm glad you're, you know, a lot of people aren't willing, I'm sure, in, in your shoes to be that open with some of this stuff. But I think there's so many people, and I'll just speak upon this part of the country, in, in especially Southwest Ohio, that are going through opiate crisis here and all this alcohol and drug abuse and dealing, you know, just, it's a big problem here. And, um, you know, I think in across the country, it's just not here, but specifically here where we're so, it's so relevant because it's, it's so near, um, and often, you know, just around and just to see that was just really, really refreshing. So I was, I was bawling my eyes, my eyes out, man. Well, the letter, when my brother wrote me the letter and I'm, I can't believe I kept it. I just kept it by my, my, I kept it, right by my bed this whole time. And I read it on my podcast last year. On May 20th, I read it, the day he passed away. And uh, it was, that was the first time I read it out loud. That's why I got probably a little emotional about it. But it was also a response to, again, mental illness is, oh, it's such a, it's such a sickness. And I can't even explain it like, my my brother, the one that got put in jail and now he's out, and my stepdad, they were they were doing some of the sickest things I, I've ever seen a family do is when my brother passed away and the custody battle happened for my uh, niece. And then I end up, me and my wife backed off because of the chaos. But in the midst of all that, um, a, a few things happened. One, my brother did this huge... Facebook rant where he was talking about the wrong brother died and and I'm making all these rumors about the family and everything. But then what made it worse was they literally they they blocked me from all social media of my brother. Uh, and I, I you know when a family member passes you just want to go to his page and look at pictures really every now and then. And uh, they they I don't know if it was my stepdad or my brother, but they were going on my brother's page that passed away and making comments on my page, like trolling me saying, uh, you know, you didn't love me, Gary, you were never there for me. And it was just so odd because once it would come up, people, people that knew my brother was like, this is sick. Did somebody hack his page? And then they delete it. And I was like, I, I just, the, the level of mental illness to think, that was a good idea and any retrospect is beyond me. And that was like, okay, I, I got to get away from this family because th that's another level of sickness that you're going to go on your brother or your son's page. I don't know who did it and, and really try to troll me as him was just, it was so sick to me. I can't even explain it. Man. Yeah. Sorry I had to go through that. That's, that's tough. That's, that's something I don't wish upon anybody. That's just like you said, especially being as close as you were with him and trying to help him and have that, you know, be done to you. It's just, it's just not right. But I think there's hopefully a lot of things in the future will, will turn out, you know, hopefully better. And 
um, especially for your niece too. Hopefully that's uh that's a tough situation she's in as well. Well, the, the thing about like that is you just got to hope And some, some people in this world have an inner resolve and no matter what situation you put them in, they're going to find a way out. Yeah. And you just hope she's one of those people that have that inner resolve that can get out of it. Get out. Right. Uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm proof you can, you can, you can. And here's the thing when you, when you're dealing with an, a head of the household, like my stepdad was, who was just such a, uh, such an abuser physically and mentally to the, especially me, but to all the kids really. But uh, he, you know, there's an old saying that hurt people hurt people. You know what I mean? Right. And his thing with me was, I, I didn't have it rough. And listen, there isn't a doubt in my mind that my stepdad had a harder childhood than I did. There's not a doubt. And I, but the difference is he never got to address it. And I don't think he ever had closure with his dad. Um, Cause his dad passed away when he was like 30. So I don't think he ever had a chance to have that knockdown, drag out, whatever you got to do. And then you can start to heal from it, get your feelings off. So I think he just took all that pain and directed it towards, he directs it towards everybody else, but I was easy because I was in the house and I wasn't his. So there's no doubt that he had a harder childhood than me. I'm sure of it. But, um, but I was able to realize that and get out of it and realize that's not healthy for me and not make the same mistakes with my family and my life. And I think, you know. <clears throat> and I think, you know, what you've obviously you've had the success, but then uh, as Kyle just kind of touched on it, I, I would definitely want to highlight it and give it, give it the, the respect it deserves. Um, can you talk a little bit more about um, what you did and what you're doing? Uh, you know, when you went back to Talawanda high school uh, and, you 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 met the uh, the Jesse Bailey kid and you, you you guys decided to ultimately you know support him going to college. But t- can you kind of touch on that story a little bit? Well, we what we did is I wanted to. I've never been one to give the blanket charities because I don't know really I don't really know where the money's going, and also you're always um, you always hear about these you know these scams that go on or people using the money from the charities for their own personal gain. So I met with the principal of Talwanda and I came up with this idea. I said, what if we, what if we find somebody and I take care, I can, I can definitely take, send one person to college and I can track how they're doing. So I met with five students that I let the staff at Talwanda pick that they felt was the, um, could, had a good shot of, of coming from nothing and turning around if they had a break. And I said, I don't want straight A students either. I said, I want kids that overcame stuff. Um, Cause I, I, I really believe that um, you ever like when you're growing up, you'll study, study, study for a test and you'll get like a B plus and this kid will just get all A's. And you're like, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> all the time. Yeah. That was me. There's some kids that just are smart and get it. And I didn't want to give a scholarship to, to a kid like that. Cause they're going to kids like that are going to be okay. Um, just their, their heads smart. They're going to be okay. So I met with five kids and, you know, I end up giving, um, end up giving money to, to three of the kids. And then one girl I gave a laptop to that she needed at UC for her major. And, and Jesse, we ended up picking him to, 
get the scholarship and and you guys don't know the end of this story but Jesse he made it to his sophomore year and then he 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 failed he failed out wow. so we paid for his freshman year and then he didn't make it past the second semester of sophomore year he ended up failing out but i don't regret doing it because what i hope happens in Jesse's life is i hope that he sees uh, that there are people out there that are willing to help and you just have to accept it. And I said, even when I, and it hurt me that he didn't make it. Um, but uh, hopefully the light will come on at some point. Like a lot of times I'll be like, you just got to make it to 25 years old and, and shit starts to make sense with your life at that age. Yeah, yeah. You start to realize and stop blaming and, you know, that that's a, to me, that's the age where people make that big decision where they're going to go in life. For Calvin, and, for, for Calvin, not to interrupt. Calvin was just, like 35, not 25 for him over here. Oh, really? <laughs> well, even like like my my best friend in high school this day, he, he graduated from, he went to Miami of Ohio, dropped out, failed out, and took a couple years off, got his shit together, moved to Columbus, was working at a place called The Cooker, ended up taking classes, and long story short, he ended up in his bachelor's, his four-year degree at 28. Then he went on to get his master's. And now he's a he's a school teacher on his way to becoming a principal. And I, I would guess superintendent because um, he's just killing it right now. But he just took a little longer to mature and get his shit together. So I hope that's what happens with Jesse, even though he didn't um, make it this first run. But I hope he realizes there are people out there, you know. Yeah, help that's great. You know, like I said, I was, I was my eyes. It wasn't a dry eye in, in my room, at least for me. And like I said, my wife was like, what's going on? I'm like, it's just incredible. So appreciate what you're doing in the community. Uh, we do a rapid fire. We kind of towards the conclusion of each each episode, we do a rapid fire. So we got a couple, I think not too hot questions for you, but I got the first one for you. So I have to preface this as you can say no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, don't tell him what he's no, going to say. Um, so, um, I'm a diehard Cleveland Browns fan, hard to be. So I actually live in Cincinnati, but I grew up, I moved around a lot as a kid, but I have season tickets. I bought them when I'm 0 and 16. So I'm going to start, I'm going to start prefacing with that. But since the Bengals, I've been watching it. I, in my opinion, haven't treated you, uh, as, as, as good as they have should, uh, like my Browns, I think would do with field passes by whatever, um, just to, to appreciate your fanhood. Would you be willing to ever switch to a Browns fan if 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 we treated you right? Man, that's an easy to, for me to say yes is easy, but right. the Bengals and me is an abusive relationship. It's like they're like I'm Tina Turner and they're Ike. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I always come back. It, it is tough, tough to be a Browns man. fan. Yeah, it's probably not the best team to say that, but yeah. I'm just a Browns fan. So I was trying to because honestly, if 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 I was a you know the Browns nation would just love Gary Owen on on our team. I know that. Appreciate. That's, yeah, all, I'm, that's all I'm saying. I don't get it, and like people don't understand when they're like, um, uh, just just buy tickets to everybody else and stop being a prima donna. And I go, I go. Listen, it's not that. It's it's. I don't know. You just go to other cities and you see how they celebrate their local guys. Like you go to Seattle and they have a different person raising that 12th man flag and they have a suite dedicated to like celebs and ex Seahawks that are in town. 
and you never know who you're going to see there. And Seattle lets me sit in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even a diehard Seahawks fan, and I got you know Coach Carroll comes down and, and you know he talks to you and all the explain. It just they take such good care of me, and uh, just about every NFL team does if, if we call. Not Mike Brown. The Bengals, you're just like, what yeah. are you? Ugh. It's when they played the Redskins in England a couple years ago. My publicist called, and the the Bengals said no. The Redskins um, got me field passes and tickets. Mm. Gosh, man, that's just, it, it's not, it's not going to change around here for a long time, man. So, so do you rock the Reds, Gary? Are you a baseball guy or not yeah. really? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm. This is how Cincinnati I am. Remember, like seven, eight years ago, when um, the fight between Xavier and UC happened mm-hmm. on the basketball court. Yep, it was Yancey Gates. Um, I rooted for both guys. I said, "Dang, Yancey stole on our boy," and I was like, "But did you see how he took the punch, though?" <laughs> <laughs> I was rooting for both. Uh, that's too- <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's amazing. All right, question number two. When did you realize you loved black women? Birth. <laughs> Question number three. No. <laughs> kind of like being gay. Like, gay guys another day. Why? That's, just, that's who they are. That was the same way. And I'm married to a white woman. So, hey, it is what it is. I guess birth. Hey, I'm from Oxford. I expect <laughs> that from black guys who played in Miami. <laughs> you, that's so true. I need to let that my mom hear this. Yeah. <laughs> that is that could not be any more true. Yeah, he's the black I woman coast, on him. I coast at Central State. I did coast there for a minute too, so yeah. <sighs> Small world, man. Um got another one here for you. I think you might think this is a little bit of funny. Uh who's a better comedian? You or your son Austin? Ooh. It's me, but if, if Austin wants to stick to it, I've seen him go. Like he can bag with the best of them. Okay. I know I you mean, give him a hard time, but I think he's he's coming around. I like it. Yeah, he's got the gift, but like it's almost like um I heard a, a buddy of mine who's in the NFL and his son his son was playing sports and I don't want to say his name because I don't want to put him out there, but I said, How's your son doing? He goes, Man, he got D one talent with a D three work ethic. <laughs> Like, that's about like my son was stand up. <laughs> They're saying it's a mille- it's a little bit of the trend he, of the millennial. He might not hit it till he's twenty five. Yeah, right. He might yeah, not. Yeah, He'll yeah. probably still be living at home then. <laughs> uh, all right, last one, man. Um, how so? How does your family? I asked this question to Steve as well, um, and and I've seen you know how do you how does your family respond? Uh, when you involve them, you know, in a routine, like what is you, how does your wife kind of take it when you have a joke or, or your kid, obviously your kids are old enough now, if you have jokes about them, how does that dynamic go over with the family? <laughs> they're honestly, they're cool with it. They know it's, I always say it's, it's my life. My, my jokes are my life on the HGH and steroids. It's true, but I'm adding some onto it to make it funnier. I'm just adding a little bit extra. So sometimes my wife will get on me and be like, that was, that was a little much, but I'm like, <laughs> all right. Like, I don't like her going to shows and watching because she'd be critiquing too much. Ah. <laughs> makes sense. That's makes sense. Funny. So what's, uh, as we conclude, what, what is the future of, of what you're doing and what do you got going on here after this all this madness uh, subsides? Um, well, it sucked because, you know, I was 
I was my next special. We were filming March twentieth, and that got canceled. And so we'll find a. Well, as soon as this is an, is over, we'll find another date to um to record it. But my new special is going to be called Black Famous, because it seems like that's what I am mostly. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm huge with black people, and then white people are starting to come around. And then <laughs> I was I was actually two things happened. I was getting ready to film my special. And I was in the middle of filming a movie. When this all happened, I was in Oklahoma City and the movie's called Dottie and Soul. And then I got two movies coming out this year. One one was supposed to come out in June on Netflix, but with with the the way things are, I I think they called me and said they're thinking about moving it to October just so they can get a good release and everything. But it's called um Welcome to Sudden Death. And it's me and Michael Jai White. It's a martial arts movie. And I'm like the the sidekick buddy. Have you seen Sudden Death with Jean-Claude Van Damme? Oh, yeah. Yes. Great movie. Yes. It's a remake. Okay. Are you John- that. Are you playing? So are you playing Jean-Claude? No. no Michael <laughs> J. White's Jean-Claude. Okay. I'm the, uh, and then they, they switched it up. It's not a hockey arena. It's a basketball arena. Basically, these terrorists take over the Phoenix Suns basketball arena. And uh, Mike just got hired as a security guard, but we don't know he's the next like Army Ranger badass. And these terrorists are going to blow the whole uh, arena up uh at the end of the game and they got the and i'm the janitor that's been there for 20 years so why these guys these terrorists come in and kill all the security guards i'm in my like janitor's office listening to music and eating donuts and not paying any attention and michael is the only one they don't kill because obviously he's a badass so he comes into the janitor's office and then we basically have to save the day together Nice, oh. dude. That's amazing. Yes, that's so. Yeah. How do you like? That's uh, gonna be it's actually gonna be good. I'm excited. It'd be my first like co-lead, co-star and role because I've been in quite a few movies, but usually I'm, I'm like a you know I'm in it, but I'm not the lead. Right. So this is the first one where it's like me and Mike, but it's not like a rush hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. So do you like from an acting perspective? Would you rather you know if you could split up your time or had to make a choice? Would you rather be on stage doing? Stand up, or would you, you know, be, uh, you know, at, you know, making a movie? I think one hand feeds the other. Mm-hmm. Um, the more movies you're in, the, the 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 more fans you get, and then the bigger. But I always be a stand up. I want that Don Rickles life where you just go to your ninety. <laughs> right now, I, I will say this too, because uh, 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 we Kyle brought this to my attention. I wasn't aware, but uh, I guess everyone is is starting to think you're uh, Tommy from Power. <laughs> Right. <laughs> or yeah, what is it? So, yeah. Yeah. So, a lot. so this, 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 so obviously, as your acting career grows, they'll definitely be it. Because I think that dude looks like Eminem. But you know, if people are starting to think that, I don't think you look like Eminem. So I don't. I, I didn't see the. I didn't see the comparison or the resemblance. Yeah, I, I did say. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a mix, man. Um, but we we did a we did a Power Confidential, which is like the little talk show after Power last year. And that's when we finally got to stand next to each other, and I took a picture. And I'm, I'm just so much bigger than him. Like I'm damn near six three, and he's probably five ten, five nine. Oh, okay. Um, I'm way taller than him, and and bulkier too. Like I, that's why I don't really have to work out that much because I know what I look like ripped because I see Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> that is one thing when you when you're on the road, and I, I travel a lot for for the work that I do, <clears throat> and. Uh, you you keep a pretty good uh, routine. Most of the cities, it looks like you have relationships there. And so I've really actually tried to incorporate some of that where you have established relationships in the cities and you go with certain trainers. So I, I really actually um, 
appreciate that, you know, you sharing that. And that's really helped me actually. I still got the dad bod as Mr. Blackman would say here, but I'm working on it. Trying to, uh, well, I mean, the, the goal is to not look sloppy. You know, right. it's okay to have a dad bod. Just don't have a sloppy dad bod. <laughs> yeah. Um, not too much you know, cushion. The, honestly, yeah. the older you get in this, and especially stand up, is you see guys go different routes. You see guys just let themselves go. And then you see other guys that, that go the other way and get really healthy. And I've noticed now that I'm over 40 that it used to be when I went to a city, I'm looking for the nightclubs and bars as I ran into your boy at the first run, obviously. Um, <laughs> but the, the older I get, now I'm looking for like coffee shops and like gyms and stuff like that, you know. And you get the, it's weird, like the endorphins are the same. You get the same rush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's that maturity. Yeah, just keep going. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's it's unbelievable, right? The older, older you get, the same thing. It's like, like Josh was, you know, used to be excited to go see the Arch in, in St. Louis, but go to St. Louis five times, it's like it doesn't really mean rather be with your family or or uh, be doing something that's a little bit more productive, productive versus going out and, and seeing everything or whatnot. So really interesting. Mm -hmm. But um, how can they also the, the listeners uh, follow you? I know you're on a lot of different things and you have a website. Anything you can share, I know they would um, love to follow you. Well, everything is, all my social media is at Gary Owen Comedy. And then, you know, you can look up all my stuff on YouTube. And I'm actually, you know, I my podcast went down in November. And the reason was it was a lot of, it was a lot of behind the scenes stuff where uh, I, I would always have a hard time reaching my engineer because my engineer was in another, he was in Atlanta. So it ended amicably, but I just said, Hey man, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna separate and try to find another network. And everybody was cool. And so I finally got, um, a new network and I'm actually, the first episode airs Monday and I got a uh, Michael Ely as my guest. So okay. I'll be back every week come Monday. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, definitely. We'll promote that for sure, man. And, uh, as Kyle said, you know, thank you for your, thank you for your time. Uh, it's, it's truly an honor, man. Uh, you know, we've, I think we're at about episode 30 or so. And, uh, you know, I've been a fan for a very, very, very long time. So, uh, to get the opportunity to have this conversation with you and then you being a local guy and having met you a couple times, uh, indirectly one getting roasted and the other having a drink while we roast a couple <laughs> young ladies walking by us, uh, it's all good, man. But uh, no, again, thank you. Uh, it, it's, it definitely means a lot. So, Cool, man. Well, take it easy, guys. Stay safe during this pandemic. Yes, sir. Yeah, will do. Will. You do the same, man. Thank you. Thanks, brother. All right, man. Take care. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps. And send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.